You're listening to the Prison Poetry Workshop Podcast. I'm Ren Smith. Here we present readings, commentary, recordings, and stories about the little-known and even less understood literary tradition of prison poetry. In 1965, poet Dudley Randall founded a Detroit publishing company called Broadside Press. The first piece of writing Broadside published was his own, the iconic civil rights poem, The Ballad of Birmingham. Brother dear, may I go downtown instead of out to play and march the streets of Birmingham in a freedom march today? No, baby, no. You may not go, for the dogs are fierce and wild, and clubs and hoses, guns and jails, ain't good for a little child. Written after the Ku Klux Klan bombed a black church in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963, killing four little girls, the poem depicts a conversation between a mother and child. The mother forbids her child from attending a civil rights rally only to send her to church on the tragic morning of the bombing. For when she heard the explosion, her eyes grew wet and wild. She raced through the streets of Birmingham, calling for her child. She clawed through bits of glass and brick, then lifted out the shoe. Oh, here's the shoe my baby wore. Good baby, where? Are you? Dudley's Press would help usher in the black arts movement. The 1960s was very, very um, vital, and there was a lot of activity. Melba Boyd teaches Africana studies at Wayne State University in Detroit. She wrote a biography of Randall and worked at his press in the 1970s. She says the energies of the civil rights and black nationalist movements inspired a black culture swell in Detroit. There were readings, um, very important event when Langston Hughes comes to Detroit. That was extremely important. Um, and he was brought here, I believe, for the dedication of the African uh, art collection at the Detroit Institute of Arts. As a result, there was growing interest in black poetry, but that poetry wasn't easy to find. In 1965, there was very little publishing activity. Although he was already an established writer by then, Randall knew how a dearth of places to publish could hamper a poet, placing him or her in a time warp. But in 1937, I sent a poem, Hastings Street Girls, to Opportunity, and the editor accepted it. But then Opportunity ceased publishing, and the editor sent the poem back. That's the late Dudley Randall from a documentary Melba Boyd produced about his life called Black Unicorn. And it was not until I put out a book in 1971 that that poem was published. That was about about 40 years later. And the poems that were published in the 60s had been written maybe in the 40s. Randall would not only make broadside a beacon for struggling poets, 
he'd make it a beacon for imprisoned poets as well. That all started when he published a talented upstart named Etheridge Knight, a.k.a. Prisoner 30562. After Dully, you know, had accepted the first poems, that clearly was an indication that he saw him as having talent. And Dudley actually went to the prison um, in Indiana. I mean, he actually visited him there, and he worked with him, workshopped his poems with him. Decades later, Knight reminisced about those early days. I met Dudley, it was, it was in the mid-60s. Uh, I, I had a bunch of poems, and... Uh, I wanted to get a book done, and I mean, I, I was, I was, um, I really had an audience in the prisons, but I think I wanted to extend my voice, you know, over the walls. And uh, he asked me about it, and he just started Broadside Press, and he wrote to me, and I sent him a bunch of poems, and he came down to the prison and visited me, and we sat in the visiting room and, and started working on the poems for the book. And I'm sure it was in the mid-60s, 65 or 66. In publishing, Knight didn't just gain a sense of accomplishment. He found a new and more expansive worldview. And if it had not been for poetry, I think I probably would still have been an ambitious psycho going into prison and out of prison. Poetry, like any of causes constant self-examination causes a kind of awareness of my own self and the world outside of me, too. Dudley, like Pulitzer Prize-winning poet Gwendolyn Brooks, helped mentor Knight. I, I, I like to write off he's a gentleman. You know, it's, it's something that, that's very unusual in that whole environment. You know, he's, he's very clear, and, he, and his talk was gentle and, and concise. And, and he was a teacher. I know he was a teacher. Now, I, I didn't... I didn't mind admitting to him that I didn't know as much as I learned like I knew. <laughs> and Dudley brought new dimensions to Knight's poetry. And he, he taught me the more formal aspects, the, more the craft. If anybody who reads my poetry and read Dudley's and Glenn's, I mean, it's clear that they're my major influences. You know, it, it's almost plagiarism to, to some point. I mean, I knew they were the best out there. And Robert Bly made this, this statement once. He says, uh, minor poets imitate, major poets steal outright. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah I, I, I think I picked the best. Knight died in 1991 after a celebrated career. Here he reads one of his most famous prison pieces, a poem he wrote as he whiled away time in solitary confinement. The idea of ancestry. Taped to the wall of my cell are 47 pictures, 47 black faces. My father, mother, grandmothers, one dead, grandfathers, both dead, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, cousins, first and second, nieces and nephews. They stare across the space at me sprawling on my bunk. I know their dark eyes, they know mine. I know their style, they know mine. I am all of them, they are all of me. They are farmers, I am a thief. I am me, they are thee. I have at one time or another been in love with my mother, one grandmother, two sisters, two aunts, one went to the asylum, and five cousins. 
I am now in love with a seven-year-old niece. She sends me letters written in large block print, and her picture is the only one that smiles at me. I have the same name as one grandfather, three cousins, three nephews, and one uncle. The uncle disappeared when he was 15, just took off and caught a freight, they say. He's discussed each year when the family has a reunion. He causes uneasiness in the clan. He is an empty space. My father's mother, who is 93 and who keeps the family Bible with everybody's birth dates and death dates in it, always mentions him. There's no place in her Bible for whereabouts unknown. Each fall, the grays of my grandfathers call me. The brown hills and red gullies of Mississippi send out their electric messages, galvanizing my genes. Last year, like a Simon quitting the cold ocean, leaping and bucking up his birth stream, I hitchhiked my way from L.A. with 16 caps in my pocket and a monkey on my back. And I almost kicked it with the kinfolk. I walked barefooted in my grandmother's backyard. I smelled the old land and the woods. I sipped corn whiskey from fruit jars with the men. I flirted with the women. I had a ball till the caps ran out and my habit came down. That night, I looked at my grandmother and split. My guts were screaming for junk, but I was almost contented. I had almost caught up with me. The next day in Memphis, I cracked a crocus crib for a fix. This year, there is a gray stone wall damming my stream, and when the falling leaves stir my jeans, I pace my cell a flop on my bunk and stare at 47 black faces across the space. I am all of them, they are all of me. I am me, they are thee, and I have no sons to float in the space between. As it turns out, publishing a prison poet attracts other prison poets. By the time Melba Boyd began working as an editor at Broadside Press, prisoners from around the country were sending in their work. The poems flooded in. They were, they were coming from everywhere. They were coming from, you know, prisons. And, you know, some of them good, some of them terrible. And, and the thing about Randall, again, you know, God bless him, because, I mean, he would like especially these guys in prison, I mean, he would, like, handwrite them a response, you know what I mean? That's why he was so far behind, you know? It's just like, we sent more books um, for free to guys in prison. After a while, Boyd says Randall even put a group of essays together to help prison poets develop their craft more. He asked famous black poets of the day, like Gwendolyn Brooks and Darnell Lee, to contribute because he keeps getting these letters, people asking him for advice on how to write poetry. He says, well, you know what, we need a book to send to these people. Naomi Long Magic, who started her poetry house, Lotus Press, in 1972, remembers how pervasive broadsized poetry books were back then, particularly a series of pocket-sized chapbooks Randall published. It did create an interest in poetry, people who had never read poetry before were seen walking around with several books of poetry that Broadside Press had published and writing their own. But a a lot of uh, the poet's work was uneven, but it was popular at that time. It was a political necessity. As a premier publishing house that illuminated the black experience, 
Broadside emerged a force to be reckoned with, publishing 200 titles in a decade and featuring literary giants like Gwendolyn Brooks, Robert Hayden, Margaret Walker, Audre Lorde, Amiri Baraka, Nikki Giovanni, Sonia Sanchez, and of course, Etheridge Knight. In 1981, the mayor of Detroit would declare former librarian Dudley Randall the first ever poet laureate of the city. Broadside Press is still around today. The oldest African-American publisher of African-American poetry in the United States. It's now a nonprofit. The honor of being Detroit's Poet Laureate has been passed on to Naomi Long Magic. Smith. We'll be back next week with more prison poetry. To find out how you can lend your voice to our poetry archive, go to prisonpoetryworkshop.org.